Well, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles first to Matthew chapter 4. Your sermon today is Matthew chapter 10, but Matthew 4, just uh, maybe a page or two away, six chapters, Matthew chapter 4, that's where we were at two weeks ago today. So Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18, as we continue our sermon series on growing Christ's followers, our purpose as a church. But first, well, I guess this would be second, because I told you what to do first, open to Matthew chapter 4, our scripture memory verse of the month. Um, that scripture memory verse, Acts 9.31. And I talked about that last week. And you'll remember, uh, if you were here, if you weren't here, I'll tell you real quick. As I was seeking God's face for where our church is and where He would want us to be, uh, and just doing my regular daily Bible reading a couple months ago, Acts 9.31 jumped off the page at me. And let's say it together. Acts 9.31, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers, Acts 9.31. And just to review if you were here, or to introduce you to the idea if you weren't. You know, the Holy Spirit said to me, this is where we're at as a church in Southview. We have peace, and we are being strengthened. There's so many good things going on, and so many people full of the Spirit, loving and serving God and one another. And how is it going to be that we'll see an increase or a multiplication of our numbers? That's by living in fear of the Lord, a right relationship with Him, and being encouraged by, comforted by the Holy Spirit. That's how we're going to get here. And our vision to grow we talked about last week is that people are our purpose. Growing Christ followers means growing people that follow Jesus and therefore look like Jesus. A Christ follower is a disciple, an apprentice, a learner. And when we come together to worship, we worship in order to express that purpose. And the songs we sing, the scripture we study, the prayers we offer, the tithes and offerings we give. And when we gather together in Sunday school and in small groups and we do things like Vacation Bible School and Awana for the boys and girls and we study God's Word, those are the primary tools to fulfill that purpose and even the facility that we meet in, from the parking lot to the landscaping to the sanctuary to the rest of our building, is to support that purpose of growing Christ followers. And so with this on my mind and just really a buzz from um, being here with you and such a great response from the surveys last Sunday, I'm just doing my normal pastor thing this week, Right? And one of those things was uh, Miss Donna Lee Miller, and she's not here today because she had surgery this week. Uh, she's one that you may not know, kind of a 70-ish lady. I'm not going to say how old. Uh, and, um, you know, kind of quiet, keeps to herself, generally sits back over there, sometimes back in the back row here. And Miss Donna Lee had a brain tumor uh, 25 years ago. And as a result of that, still has trouble with seizures and some other things and takes medicines and goes to the doctors regularly and gets MRIs and all those kind of things. Well, she woke up last Saturday morning and she couldn't move her head off the pillow. She said, I literally had to pick my head up off the pillow. And she said, you know, I was determined to make myself some coffee. And she said with a chuckle, because even though I knew I felt terrible, I thought coffee would help make it better. <laughs> If you're a coffee drinker, you understand. And she said, but then as the coffee started brewing, and a pain shot down my arm, 
And my arm went numb, and I thought, oh my, have I had a stroke. So she called 911. When it turns out she had a bulging disc and a herniated disc in her neck. And so when I went to visit her in the hospital uh, Tuesday or Wednesday morning, she was awaiting surgery that was going to happen later that afternoon. As we're talking about how she's doing and how she's feeling, what's going on in life, and all the kind of things you talk about in a pastoral visit when somebody's about to have surgery, it's just she and I in her room. She says, Pastor Aaron, and she starts to cry. She said, my hope is in God, and I've got to tell you the scripture that I keep clinging to. And I said, yeah, tell me, because I'm starting to cry as I'm listening to her, because she's starting to cry like I'm starting to cry right now. And she shares Psalm 29, 11. Just write it down. I'll tell it to you. Just listen. Let God's word speak to you from Miss Donnelly Miller through me by his spirit right now. Listen to what Psalm 29, 11 says. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. And I thought about her. And I said, Miss Donnelly, that's amazing. But do you know what else this scripture does? I said, just this Sunday, I preached on Acts 9.31. And I quoted Acts 9.31 for her. And she started to chuckle and she started to cry even more. She said, so my scripture matches your scripture. I said, exactly. And I said, and I'm going to tell the church that Sunday. She said, you do that, Pastor Aaron. So there you go. Friends, you never know how God is going to speak to you. That a dear sister in a hospital bed, quoting a scripture that she's held on to for years, quotes it to me at just the right time. So the Holy Spirit says, yeah, there's peace and there's strength there. And in that hospital bed, that dear sister who's beaten brain cancer, who now has herniated discs and got to have surgery, is preaching to me in order that I might preach to you and say, God is for us. And God who's given us strength and God who's given us peace will continue to bless us. So that was last week's sermon and a little sermon midweek, thanks to Miss Donna Lee. But let's rewind two weeks and where I told you to go in uh, Matthew chapter 4. And uh, Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus says, follow me. Verse 18, and Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting their nets into the lake for they were fishermen. That was their vocation. They were doing what they did. They're living life. And Jesus says to them, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Remember that command that Jesus gave to them was come after me is literally the best translation in the Greek. It's a word used by a teacher in that day and time for a student, an apprentice, to literally get in line behind him and do what he does, follow after him. Not only listen to what he says, but live like he lives. And then we talked about who the me was. And almost 20 different references just in that first part of Matthew of who Jesus is and who we are following. But what got me thinking this week is the end of verse 19. And I will make you fishers of men. I want to say, Jesus said right there 
come follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. So I'm going, when does he let them go fishing on their own for men? So I started reading. Got my Bible out, of course. Read in Matthew chapter 4. No, it's all Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, pretty much all Jesus. Oh, wait, 5, 6, and 7 are the Sermon on the Mount. So that's pretty much all Jesus. He's telling people, do this, don't do that. You know, these kind of teachings. Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 9, still all Jesus healing people, doing amazing things. And then Matthew chapter 10, will you turn ahead to our scripture for this week? Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 16, we'll read as our key text. Jesus sends out the 12. I'm like, yes! We know at the end of Jesus' life and ministry, in Matthew 28, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all people. That's the general mission, commission for the church of all people at all time. That's for all of us. But we know here at the beginning of Matthew 4, he said to, or in Matthew in chapter 4, he said to these specific men, I'm going to make you fishers of men. But what happens in the middle? And this is the first time when I saw it's the middle and he's actually sending them out to do what he said they were going to do. And that's to be fishers of men. And that's where we're going to camp out this morning. So if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's word, would you do that as we read Matthew chapter 10 verses 1 through 16 from the New International Version. He called his disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the name of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, and the tax collector, Thomas, uh, excuse me, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belt. Take no bag for your journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Verse 11. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter his home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom or Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Let's pray. Father, we hear this teaching of Jesus, and we're kind of excited to see what happens here. I'm frankly, more excited to find out what it is that you would say to us today. I mean, yeah, it's a little selfish to go, okay, God, what's in it for us? But here we are with your word and what Jesus said to uh, his 12 disciples 2,000 years ago almost. And we're going, what's in it for us? And that's the way you speak to us through Scripture, because your truth is timeless. So, Father, would you teach us now? about what it means to fulfill Jesus' mission and how we might connect that to our lives and to the church life here at Southview. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Thanks. You can be seated. 
So you've got some blanks to fill out on your outline. And the first major point there that says this, and I'm not looking at it, so I'll wait till Chris puts it up. Jesus empowers us to do his will. Jesus empowers us to do his will. Look back at verse 1 where that comes from. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Now, in general, these days, we don't see evil spirits being drove out and uh, physical healing taking place. Remember, as I've said before, and I'll say again, God is still God, and He still has the power to do those things. But it's not normal or normative in our day and time in modern-day America. Why? Because God's chosen that way, I guess. But in those days, in order to confirm His message, to demonstrate His power over evil, He healed people physically and spiritually and set them free. And so when Jesus calls them, that word call literally means to be face to face. His disciples, remember that word means to be a student, a follower, an apprentice. That's why we use the phrase Christ followers. And He gave them authority or power. To do as he had done. Matthew chapter 4 verse 23. It says Jesus went throughout Galilee. Teaching in their synagogues. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And healing every disease and sickness among the people. Matthew chapter 9 verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages. Preaching in the synagogues. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And healing every disease and sickness. And he tells them right here. You guys are going to do this too. So let's ask our question, how well am I doing Jesus' will? If Jesus empowers us to do His will, and His specific command to you may not be to cast out demons or to heal the sick, but His specific command to you is that you be a disciple and that you help gather other people to become disciples and grow as disciples, how are you doing with that? They went throughout all the... uh, um, Excuse me. They went throughout all the region. But what about you? Your teaching, your preaching, your life. Are you sharing the story of Jesus? Do you know Scripture? Do you share Scripture? Do you pray for others? That's something simple that you can do when somebody has a problem or an issue. You don't have to make a big deal out of it. You don't want to pray a God, the world, and other things prayer. Just focus on the one thing. Let's say uh, they say to you, well, I'm really worried about this at work. You just say, hey, can I pray with you about that right now? Grab their hand, put your hand on their shoulder, something like that, and say a simple prayer. God, would you help my friend have wisdom with this problem at work? And would you do something only you can do? Amen. Simple little prayers like that can make a world of difference. And here's what they'll do. Your friend will know that you called on the sovereign God of the whole universe on their behalf. I guarantee you, your friend will be more willing to talk to you in the future about what's going on in their life because they trust you. You don't realize how many doors can open up to you and how the relationship can take further steps when it comes to you doing something as simple as saying a prayer for somebody. You know, one thing we found out last week in the survey that I was wondering about, and many of you confirmed it, it was frankly our number one response when we said, um, you know, what hinders you from inviting people to church? The number one response was, I don't know too many people who are unchurched. 
Like even outside of church, we hang out with other Christian people, which is good. We need to be encouraged by them. We need to know them. We need to share with our brothers and sisters that worship at other churches or other denominations and learn from those. Uh, Those are good things. But do you have people that don't follow Jesus as their personal Savior in your life that you can continually be speaking truth to them? Or do you have folks that they proclaim Christ as their Savior, but they're not churched? And you need to be a witness to them to say, hey, man, you can come to my church or at least go to some church. That was the number one response there. That we need more lost friends or maybe my friends have their own church. Same thing. Um, we need to look, reach out to folks. Another response was basically along the lines of I'm insecure or my own fear. Another one that was really popular, frankly, was just I'm lazy or I don't feel like it or I don't want to. Something like that. And more often than not, however, it was our perceptions. We, you answered something by saying along the lines, I thank my friends or, or I feel like my friends. And I wanted to say, really? Have you asked them about this? Or are you just imagining? Because when it comes to doing Jesus' will, he's commanded us, he's called us to him, he's empowered us with authority, and he asks us to go. Let me point out something very quick before we move to our next point. Notice in chapter 10, verse 1, he called his 12 disciples to him. So disciples are somebody that follows after, right? A student. Look at verse 2. These are the name of the 12 apostles. Apostles are sent out. Apostello literally means sent out one. That's the other reason I picked this passage of Scripture to illustrate this point of when they were actually going to get to be fishers of men. Because to that point, they're just disciples. Follow after me. Do what I do. Say what I say. Learn from me. Follow after me, Jesus is saying. You're my disciples. But here is the first time the word is used Apostle, I'm sending you out on mission. It's not just that you're following me and doing what I'm doing, but I'm staying here and I'm sending you out saying, go get them, boys. Let's see what happens. See how you can do flying solo without uh, Jesus around. And can you do the things that I do? Can you talk like I talk, heal like I heal? He said he gave them all authority and power. It's amazing that he did that. You and I are sent out that same way. We come in to learn and we go out to serve. Now our passage of scripture, we're not going to dwell on the names of the 12 apostles there, but let's move on to verse 5. These 12, Jesus set out with the following instructions. Do not go out among any Gentiles or in any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. So your second point is that Jesus sends us to minister as he directs. Jesus sends us to minister as he directs. Now, that's a general principle I'm taking from this specific instance because here's what we learn. Jesus was very specific with them. He didn't say, go to anybody. And for whatever reason, at this point in time, he did not want them to go to Gentile villages. He did not want them to go to Samaria. He wanted them to preach among the Jewish people, his people, at least at this point in time. So that was their specific command. So let's say if their specific command is to stay among the Jewish people, and Jesus says to them, I'm going to give you all authority and power to do miraculous things among the Jewish people. Do you think if they went to the Samaritans or the Gentiles, they'd have had that miraculous power and authority? No. 
Jesus says, here's the command. I'm directing you to do this one small thing with this group of people. And these, not yet. How many of us live powerless lives? And I have to ask myself, it's because we're doing these that Jesus has said, not yet. Where if we knew specifically what he called us to do, and we were staying in the lane that he called us to run in, that we would have then the authority he's given us to exercise, and we'd see amazing things happen in our life. Friends, I think the principle holds true for us that Jesus sends us to minister as he directs, not as we choose. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now that's specific of Jeremiah. And I don't know that any of you here are named Jeremiah. And you know, you're not going out to the nations as a prophet as far as I know. But God may be calling you to the nations to be a missionary. But I guarantee you where God has called you. He's called you to your neighborhood to be a missionary. To your employer to be a missionary. To your group of friends to be a missionary. You're the light of Jesus. You're the salt. You're the power of God for those people. And is that the place he's empowered you and given you authority in order to minister for his kingdom? So your question there is, where has he enabled me to go? I already gave you some answers. And it may be that you feel that God is calling you to be an international missionary. And if so, man, we need to talk about that. That's exciting. Maybe uh, to be a missionary somewhere outside of, um, you know, the state of Nebraska or outside of what's normal for you here in Lincoln. But I guarantee you that all of us are called to be missionaries, as it were, apostello, sent out once to our friends, to our neighbors, to those we share common interests and hobbies or organizations. Boys and girls, have you thought about that the kids you're in class with, not all of them go to church. Not all of them know Jesus as their Savior. You're a missionary to them. The friends that you play with on your block, you're a missionary to them. The friends that are in your special activities, whether it be dance or some sport other than dance, because dance is a sport. I have a dancer. Correcting myself on the way. I'm sorry, y'all. We all have a mission field. And it's not that God might not call us further than our own mission field. But it's that we start where we're at. Let's go on in our passage of Scripture, verse 7 and 8. Verse 7 and 8. As you go, preach the message that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely go. So your third point in your outline is that Jesus commands us to talk about him and meet needs. Jesus commands us to talk about him and meet needs. That's what we're supposed to do. As we live life, we talk about him and we meet needs. There's something very interesting there in verse 7. When he says, as you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom is a place where there's dominion, there's rule and there's reign, there's authority, there's power, right? And so if he says the kingdom of heaven is near, it's like saying the kingdom of God is near. And so what he's saying is God's rules apply, God's rules, God's reign, God's power, God's authority. What is he saying? 
Remember, this is early in his ministry, and he's saying the kingdom of heaven is near. Here's the translation for you. I'm here. I'm Jesus. You're supposed to be preaching me. Because if I'm here, I'm ushering in a new era of God's will, his dominion, his power, authority on earth. And so you should be preaching me. Friends, we've still got the same commission. We've still got the same message to preach Jesus. Jesus commands us to talk about him. And what does he do there? And I, I, I hope you don't feel like I'm shortchanging it. When he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons. Freely uh, you have received, freely give. It's about meeting needs. God may never empower you to physically heal somebody by your touch, but you can pray for them. God may not give you a million dollars to meet a million dollar needs, but I bet you he's given you 10 to meet a $10 need or 100 or 1,000. You can meet needs in the name of Jesus. You too can do that. So your question is, when should I obey this command? When? Whenever I feel like it? Selective obedience? Whenever it's convenient? Whenever I can afford it? Whenever I have the time? I love that quote from missionary Amy Carmichael that said, you haven't really given until you've given out of your own need. You give, you meet needs, you share Jesus because he's called you to, not because it's convenient or easy. Your fourth point on your outline is that Jesus requests that we depend on him. If you try to do these things on your own, it won't work. If you try to do these things on your own, you will be frustrated. Friends, you don't know how many folks I've talked to as a pastor, and they know the right thing to do, and they come talking to me, and they're hurting because they're trying to do the right thing, and I'm like, it sounds like you're trying to do this on your own. Have you invited God by the Holy Spirit to fill you with His power and His presence, to give you the peace and strength that Acts 9.31 and Psalm 29.11 talked about, in order that you might fulfill as well? And you'll be surprised how many people go, um, no. I'm like, that's the key. All you got to do is start praying and then say, okay, God, where are you showing up that you can do this through me rather than me trying to do it on my own? Look at verse 9 and 10. Do not take any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Do not take a bag for your journey, extra tunic, sandals, staff for the worker is worth his keep. So again, this is Jesus' specific command to these 12 going out at this time. He wants them to be physically unable really to support themselves for this type of journey. They're not, you know, taking their own money to buy their own meals. They're at the mercy of whoever shows up. They're, uh, you know, not taking their tent and their backpack with them. They got to find somebody who's willing to have them stay in their house. Why? In order that others might exercise hospitality to them. Jesus knew there's something that happens when you allow somebody to give to you and meet their need. It's like they love you a little bit more, respect you a little bit more. There's a relationship And there's something that happens there in that relationship. So Jesus requests that we depend on him. And who does Jesus use? Other people. I think there's something we learn there. It's about having faith in Jesus. Remember Romans 5, 1 and 2. You can write that reference down. Romans 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, 
That means made right with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace by which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We're saved through faith. Why do we then stop trying to live by faith and stop trying to do everything on our own and the Christian life becomes such a drag and we're like, I'm done with this. When all we need to do is say, okay, God, you've got to give me the ability to do this. You've got to meet my needs to do this. So your question is, where do I need more faith? Where do I need more faith? What area in your life are you trying too hard on your own? That you need to open the door and say, God, can you do this for me? Let's move on to your fifth point on your outline. That Jesus reminds us to discern by the Holy Spirit. Jesus reminds us to discern by the Holy Spirit. So there's this whole thing about the towns or the villages, right? Whether you go to a town or a village, search for a worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. So don't be bouncing around. Enter the house, give it your greeting. Give it your peace. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. But if it doesn't return to you, what does he say? Let your peace return to you. He's saying you need to be prayerful about who you relate to. You concentrate on those that are receptive to a relationship with you, receptive to the message of Jesus, receptive to the love you want to share with them. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we've been reconciled with Christ and we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So we've been made right with Jesus and we're to help others to be made right with Jesus. Reconcile means to settle accounts, right? There's no debt for what's due. That means that it's paid and so it's reconciled. As we've been made right with Jesus, we're to make others right with Jesus. Remember, 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that it's not God's will for any to perish, but He wants all to come to saving knowledge of Him. And it's up to us to discern who is willing to hear the message. So the question is, how well am I guided by the Spirit? I'll never forget years ago when... um, Melanie and I had to make a trip to Louisiana when her grandmother passed away. And so uh, we, we had our big car that was for hauling all the kids, and my mom and dad had a sedan. And mom and dad, who happened to be at the house, said, Hey, we need to keep the big car to haul all the kids. Y'all take our sedan to Louisiana. So I was okay with that. I get to drive my dad's new car to Louisiana rather than my big SUV, you know. Well, Dad's new car also had the fancy GPS thing that he insisted that we use. This was how many years ago, Melanie? Nine, eight, ten years ago? Yeah. And I'll never forget going through an East Texas town, and we pretty much know the road, and we know where we're going. And we know that, you know, how a a, a highway comes into a town and then the main street, but there's a bypass or something like that. I'm going, I'm not taking that bypass all the way around. It's like nine at night. There's nobody here. I'm just going to go straight through town because it's like one mile long rather than going six miles around, right? That silly GPS. Recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. I'm like, shut this thing up. Recalculating. I mean, every street I drove by, it wanted to recalculate to get me to go back to the recommended route. It's saying that for like five minutes. I'm like, just turn it off. It's driving me crazy. It was the end of a long drive. I was not my most patient self. I think about how many of us walk through life 
And it's like the Holy Spirit keeps saying, recalculating, and we're recalculating, and we're like, shut that thing up. And then we wonder why we don't hear from God the Holy Spirit anymore. We've been going our own way so long, it's like he says, all right, I'm just going to be turned off, and I'm ready for you to turn me on. And he just needs us to say, okay, God, um, I got myself lost here. Push the power. And then he gives us the route we need to go, right? How well are we guided by the Holy Spirit? You got to wonder. Our sixth and final point, verses 14 through 16. It says, Jesus expects us to obey him. Jesus expects us to obey him. Verse 14. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet and leave that home. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. On our own, we might want to stay because we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. On our own, we might not even want to go out when he gives us this be shrewd as snakes, uh, innocent as uh, doves. But he expects us to obey him. John said in 1 John 3.24, Whoever keeps his commands, God's commands, abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. When we obey God, it's because we're seeing the Holy Spirit at work in our life. And we're doing what the Holy Spirit says. And we're obeying Him. And it's this chicken and egg kind of thing. Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? I don't know. Which comes first, obedience or the presence of the Holy Spirit? When we are open to the presence of the Holy Spirit, it makes it easier for us to obey. When we obey, it makes it easier for us to hear the Holy Spirit. It's this cyclical sort of thing. And God expects us to obey Him because He wants us to be able to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So your final question is, how closely do I follow him? If he expects me to obey him, how closely do I follow him? You remember my story from two weeks ago about my grandpa who died when I was seven. And I wanted to be just like my grandpa. I wanted to walk like him and talk like him. Not true red man like him, but bubblegum like him. And I followed him because I loved him. And I knew I could trust him to guide me where I needed to go. How about you when it, in relation to God? Let's pray together. God, our Father... We're so very thankful for your word that teaches us. Week in and week out, we have the pleasure of coming together as believers in Jesus and those that are seeking truth about him. And we open the Bible, and by your Holy Spirit, you speak to us. Father, it's our prayer that you help us obey. That as we think about the type of church we should be, it's really about who we ought to be as individuals. And how we come together as a body. So Father would we be those who follow you. That obey you. That are open to your Holy Spirit. Whatever it needs to be. May the hallmark of Southview Baptist Church be that we are growing 
as Christ followers. And that we are seeking to help others become and grow as Christ followers as well. So, Father, for the person that may be here today who's visited for some time, that needs to make that commitment and say, I want to join this church. I need to be a member of a church like this. And God's called me to, and to this point, for whatever reason, I haven't agreed or said yes. Would they obey you today and come forward and let us know that we might celebrate with them and they join our church family? For those of us, Father, that are members of this church family, but maybe we've been doing our own thing and we turned off the power on the Holy Spirit GPS, we need to say, okay, God, I confess my sin. Would you begin speaking to me again? Help me to get in the habit of reading my Bible and praying and being open to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And maybe, Father, there's somebody here who's never trusted Jesus as their Savior. And they need to admit that their own sinfulness today, believe that Jesus is your Son, and confess their faith in Him as your Savior and Lord. God, whatever it would be, may we respond as we sing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.